0: What's up, Kairos? So good to be with you tonight. My name is Danny Householder. I'm campus pastor here at Hope Ames. I also get to be a part of Kairos, and I'm so very glad to be with you here. Tonight, I'm so glad to be with our friends who are in Iowa City who are gathering for the very first time tonight in person. We're so glad that you can do that. Um, As you see in that opening video there, we're in a series called Jesus Went. And in in that video, what we're trying to help you see is that while we kind of go through this process of life, sometimes not noticing um, the depths of the way that God gets involved in our life, Jesus continues his journey to the cross. And so as we are journeying through this season of Lent, which is the 40 days that lead up to the holiday of Easter, which is when Jesus rose from the dead, also known as Resurrection Sunday, we remember that Jesus continued his journey to the cross despite sometimes our wandering, despite sometimes our ignorance of what God truly does go through for us. And so my prayer for you all throughout this series, throughout this season, is that we would never forget just how much God loves us and just how much God went through to ensure that he could be with us. So again, I'm so glad that we can be together and trust that God is in this room, that God is in this space. God is working in your life. God is working in this room tonight and God's not gonna let you go. I also was asked uh, through a couple of messages from some, some different people. I know that this week was supposed to be spring break week, like traditionally this is spring break week. So I was also supposed to say hi to our friends who are taking spring break anyway. So if you would turn around to one of the cameras back there, not only are we going to say hi to our friends in Iowa City, but also our friends who have betrayed us and gone on a spring break vacation while we are stuck here on a cold day. So let's just say hi, friends, in the camera. Ready? One, two, three. Hi, friends. We'll see you soon. All right. Yeah, yeah. But hey, no, truly, uh, however it is that we got to gather, we're glad that we can. Thank you for wearing your masks over your mouth and noses. We appreciate that you do that for social distancing, just to make sure that we can continue to get together in this pandemic. Tonight, we're talking about darkness. Darkness is not something that we all the time want to talk about. It's not necessarily the best feeling in the world. So let me start off with this. The Bible promises hope Regarding the darkness that surrounds us. In the beginning of John chapter 1, which is the book that we're diving into tonight, it tells us that the word, also known as Jesus, we've talked about this passage before, gave life to everything that was created. And So Jesus' purpose, his life, brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never, ever extinguish it. And that is really good news. Does anybody here have just a serious fear of the dark? You can admit it. It's okay. I've had a fear of the dark before, not necessarily like persistently throughout my life, but I've had a fear of the dark before, specifically in haunted houses. Anybody just not a fan of, who, okay, who is a fan of haunted houses? Oh man, way too many of you. You Now who here just will do anything to avoid the haunted house? I will do anything to avoid paying money to be terrified. It doesn't make sense to me. But nonetheless, a couple of years ago, and geez, this is like three or four years ago now, when uh, my wife and I were, uh, were dating, she wanted to go to a haunted house. And what am I going to do? Like, I'm trying to impress this woman. I don't want her to think that I'm scared. And so I dragged my feet to the haunted forest that's here in Ames, And I know that, like, for some people, they're like, man, that's just a tradition. I go for it all the time. And it's a great tradition. It's a great Ames thing. I get it. Go do it. It's awesome. But I was shaken, shaken in my boots that night. I was terrified. And the first thing that I noticed when I walk into the haunted house is it is dark. It's dark. And I don't like not being able to see what's coming my way. Haunted houses really like when you can't see what's coming your way. And as we're walking, I'm trying to maintain, like, this courage. I'm trying to maintain this honor. So I'm like, don't worry, Abby. Like, I got this. It's all good. You know, we're we're fine. And so I have her walking behind me, right? At the first instance where someone jumped out and popped out at me and screamed in my face with, I'm pretty sure, a chainsaw. What's fun about that? They jump like, you know. My natural instinct was I jump back, I grab Abby, I put her in front of me, and I scream, Save me! Or something like, Get her first! It's dark, and I don't like the surprises that are coming out. We don't equate darkness with goodness. We continued through that haunted house, and I wish I could tell you that, like, okay, sure enough, I like got right back in front, like, I got this, I got this, we got this. No, Abby walked in front the rest of the way because she's like, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of this. She couldn't move me fast enough to get through this because the darkness was terrifying me. Because darkness, I mean, like when we stumble across things in the dark, we don't know what they are. They scare us. You ever, like, been walking through your apartment, through your dorm, through wherever you live in the dark, and, like, you know the room very, very well, but if you touch something in the dark and you don't know what it is, even though you're home, even though the doors are locked, even though you should be safe, you just jump back. Ah! It can scare you. The darkness is equated with bad stuff. It scares us, and for a long time especially in biblical times people absolutely equated darkness with bad things with scary things they equated it, they equated it with a curse in proverbs chapter 4 it tells us this about darkness the way of the wicked is like total darkness they have no idea what they're stumbling over darkness was equated to the curse of the wicked and so, then moving fast forward into time, people would take a verse like that, and rather than studying what it really meant, which is just simply saying that when we're walking in darkness, we can be surprised. And it is, it is good for us to walk in God's light. But people would take that, and they take it out of context, and they say, okay, physical darkness, that's the problem. And so they started to develop a prejudice against people who couldn't see, against people who were blind. Blindness was actually very common back then because they didn't have the same kind of technology that we have these days, medical advancements, that it's for some of us who need eye correction like I do. I wear contacts. I wear glasses if I'm not wearing contacts. I can't drive without that. Like back in the day, they didn't really have a lot of great solutions for that. And so a lot of times it was equated with, well, God's mad at you. You're drifting into darkness. It's a curse. People would take it out of context and they said, if you're in physical darkness, clearly... Clearly, God's not happy with the way that you're living your life. Now, there was a man in John chapter 9 that you heard about in the Bible reading, and he had been blind since the beginning of his life. Jesus' disciples, going, you know, just kind of uh, according to the times, they asked Jesus, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Wow! How horrible is that? Could you imagine saying that today? It's interesting, I think that surprisingly, we actually do kind of say that stuff today. We have this bias, this unconscious bias, where we assume that if someone is struggling or going through a hard time, sometimes it's really hard for us to fight off the urge that says they deserve it, they made their own bed, and Jesus will have none of it. Jesus shines his light on the truth. In fact, Jesus responds very quickly to them and he says this, he says, it was not, simply, it was not the sin of his, it was not the sin of his parents. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. Now, now I get it. Sometimes we read that verse and maybe it's like, oh, okay, so this man is blind and God made him blind and God just wanted to use his blindness to make God look better. This is one of those examples where Greek does not translate super well into English In the Greek, what we have there is there's a so that kind of statement. It's a purpose statement. The word for so that is hinna. And because of the context that this is used in what we know, and especially according to other examples that are used in the New Testament, all but like two, the way that this really can and should be read is this happened so that the power of God could be seen in him and therefore we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us. This happened... And because of that, now we have the opportunity to shine God's light. See, there are three misconceptions about suffering. The first is, is that it is always because of something that I did. And that's not necessarily true. Sometimes, though, it's really easy to do that. Sometimes we point the finger at somebody else. You know, like, you're suffering because of what you did. But the truth is, is we do that to ourselves, too, don't we? We just try to find that quick and easy answer. Why am I hurting right now? Clearly I did something. God's mad at me. It's not the case. That's not the case. We try to blame ourselves. We try to blame the one who's suffering. Okay, there's one misconception about suffering that Jesus says that is not the case. The second misconception about suffering is to think that there must be one specific thing that somebody else did that caused my suffering. And yes, sometimes our suffering is a result of a specific thing, but sometimes we're trying so hard to find like that one root problem for why we're hurting. Like, we put blinders on and we miss out on the rest of life because we just get so focused. Like, I got to find the one reason for why this happened. And then the third misconception is to think that God did this to me. The Bible is clear God created the universe God did not create bad things God shined light into the darkness from the very beginning of time and yes darkness does exist and I know that's really hard for our minds to to wrap around because we think well those things can't live together light and darkness can't live together Good and bad can't live together. Someone who's suffering is either good or bad. They've either been hurt or they've done it to themselves. Clearly, clearly two things can, cannot coexist. But Jesus has a much more nuanced understanding of suffering. Take a look at this. In Luke chapter 13, there's a tragedy that happens, like a, an absolute horrible thing. And so Jesus is teaching his, his disciples a lesson. So he asks to them, do you think that those Galileans, these Galileans who had died, Were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? They suffered a tragedy. So was it because of them? Were they worse sinners? Were they being punished? Do bad things just happen to bad people? Of course not. He says, not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And we're like, oh boy, what's Jesus saying there? Well, I believe that what Jesus is saying is if that's the case, if your suffering is only a result of your specific sin, then every single one of you, Jesus is saying, better repent quickly because you've got the same thing coming for you. What is Jesus saying? He's saying at the foot of the cross, at the foot, at, at, at the, at, on the earth of humanity, the ground's level. If suffering is a result of one person's specific sin, then all of humanity's in trouble. The Bible's clear on this, as all have fallen short. So Jesus has this complicated, nuanced, but only possible way that, uh, but but, but truly uh, only reasonable understanding of suffering. And it is that while there is suffering in the world and it is a result of the brokenness of the world, individual suffering is not necessarily a result of individual sin. We do not get to walk around and tell people you're suffering because you fill in the blank. You, you, I mean, clearly, you. The more as Christians that we say you, and the more as Christians that we say me, the less we remember Jesus. It is so important for us to keep our eyes on the light that shines into darkness. Jesus is shining light into this situation and he's going to heal this blind man. He's going to give this blind man the sight that he desires. Jesus is surprising to this blind man. Jesus has a different understanding than everyone else around him. Imagine if you're the blind man. He just sits on the road. Because what else is he supposed to do in that society, in that day, in that age, without the services that we would be able to offer a blind person today? He would sit and he would hear people approaching and then they'd walk away. What would they do? I mean, this person's the blind one, right? But it seems like everybody else has the vision issue. He's the blind man, but no one seems to see him. No one seems to care about him, except for when they're talking about his sin. But Jesus has a better sense than that over suffering. Jesus is here to shine light into that dark and misunderstood view and perspective of our pain and of darkness. You know, there are some things that we just don't see. And it's funny when we think that we see it, but we don't. So we gather here on Wednesday nights, you know, in the Ames City Auditorium, but we have a building on Lincoln Way. We used to gather in Kairos, or gather for Kairos at this building on Lincoln Way. Um, And outside of our windows, uh, or on our windows on our building on Lincoln Way, we've got these like mirror-tinted windows. And with that comes a lot of confusion. Because someone who's walking by will often do something like this. They will look at themselves in the mirror tint. That's me today taking a picture. What you do not know when you're walking past is you look like this to the people who are inside. Just to, this is a daily occurrence. Just today, there was a woman who was standing in this spot today and she stood there for a solid two minutes dancing and watching her moves in the reflection and I am standing right here face to face. She didn't see me. Sometimes we're not seeing the whole picture and now some of you right now are like, oh man, what have I done when i walked past the building? We've seen it all. (laughs) Sometimes we don't see it, right? Jesus is shining light for the, for the purpose of our sight. I mean, as important as it is to be able to physically see, and as scary as it can be when the physical darkness surrounds us, it is infinitely import, more important for our hearts to see, for our souls to see, for our spirits to walk in light. And that is what Jesus intends to do. So he says this just right before he's about to heal this man, right before he's about to give this man sight. He says, the night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Jesus comes into the darkness and he shines. This is so wonderful. This is such good news. There's an old theologian, his is C.S. Lewis. Maybe you've heard of him before because he wrote Chronicles of Narnia. He's super famous. One time he said that I don't believe in Christianity just because I can see it, right? Instead he said, I believe in Christianity like I believe in the sun. Not because I look at it, but because through it I can see everything else. See, Jesus, he comes into the world, he shines, and suddenly we can see the other things. And while there is still great mystery, we don't have answers for all of the suffering in the world. We just don't. It's a mystery, We walk in darkness, and we don't always know why. But here's the crazy thing. We live in a complicated world where multiple things can be happening at once. And while there is darkness, there is also light. And that's complicated for us to understand. While there is evil, there is still good. Now, what does that tell us about the way that we see the people around us? not just the people who are suffering, but the people who disagree with us, the people who we believe are causing the suffering in the world, we are very quick to judge them and say, you must only be dark. You must only be evil. You must only be walking in wicked ways. Jesus says, if that's the case, if that's the case, if you can label someone just by one thing, just by a lot of things that they do, Then all of humanity is in trouble. But where all of humanity walks, Jesus comes down and he shines his light. It says that Jesus walked up to the man. He washed his eyes in a very strange way. He mixed saliva and dirt, creating mud. He wipes it on the man's eyes. And then he says, go ahead, go over to this pool, which is translated literally the name of the pool is Scent. And a lot of theologians and biblical scholars will say that Jesus is sending him to a pool called sent because Jesus is known as the one who was sent. Almost to say, yes, you are going to wash your eyes in the pool, but I am the one, the sent one, I am the one alone who has healed you. And it says that the man came back, he washed his eyes, he was seeing. He was seeing. Now you would think, right? That people would start to celebrate. That they'd be very excited for this man. Can you imagine if you saw a miraculous healing like that? Holy smokes. But we have a really hard time letting people move on, don't we? We have a really hard time letting ourselves move on. This man can see. And the people see him approach, they're like, well, there's something different about him. And so some of them they say, is that the man? Is is that the man who was blind? And many many people began to say, no, he just looks like him. Because they only see one part of him. They're not seeing the whole picture. They only want to see this man as one-dimensional. They don't want to let him walk away from where he was stuck. I think that a lot of us, part of the reason why we don't want to, uh, why we don't acknowledge what God's doing in our life, why sometimes we reject God, why sometimes we walk the other way is because we think, there's no way I could shake what I was. We just, we hold on to like little labels about ourselves. You know, like one of my insecurities when I was becoming a pastor and when I was starting to dive in this a little bit more is I was like, oh my goodness, what about people who, what about people who really know me? What are they going to think? They know me, right? Of course, it's not just pastors. Maybe you're scared to like acknowledge to anybody outside of this room that you love Jesus because you're scared that they, don't, they can't possibly associate you with Jesus and the other things that you've done. And at the same time, maybe you are having a hard time associating yourself with both Jesus and the things that you've done. But Jesus sees more. He sees the whole picture. He says, I'm not going to let you just sit with that. I'm not going to let you just sit with your labels. Again, we get stuck on these things, the suffering, the problems, the mistakes, all that stuff. And we just have blinders on. We just focus on that. But Jesus comes in and he says, let me turn on a lamp. Let me be your light. Let me illuminate the entire room. And now you can see life for what it really is. The way that you were supposed to live it. You know, we get stuck on like one feature about someone. And we think that, like, I don't know what we think is necessarily going on, but like we, we, we think that we can keep them there or something. We think that we can label them with that. We think that we can keep them in those places. But we're really the ones who end up looking silly. I was in high V um, a couple of months ago. And I've got a friend, his name is Ethan. And, uh, and, and I, I know Ethan, right? I've known Ethan for a while. I've known him for a couple of years. But everybody's wearing masks these days, right? So we're not seeing like the whole picture, the whole face. And I feel like I walk into this situation often where I think like I know somebody, but I don't. It's not, you know, all that stuff's not great. But I, I was convinced this is Ethan, Right? He had the same hair, he had the eyes, it's Ethan. I walk up to him, I'm like, Ethan! This man looks at me like I'm crazy. He looks at me like, what? I'm like, Ethan, what's up, man? Hey, how you doing? He goes, I'm not Ethan. I'm like, ha ha ha, very funny. I can see his eyes and I can see his hair. And I'm like, this is Ethan. Clearly, this is Ethan. We continued this conversation for about 20 seconds. I'm like, Ethan, come on. He goes, no, seriously, I'm not Ethan. I'm like, yeah, okay, because you could get away with that these days because everybody's wearing a mask. No, I'm not Danny. I'm Roger. Trust me. Yeah, that's a good one, Ethan. Eventually, this man takes off his masks and he says, I'm not Ethan. And as soon as he took off his mask and I could see the entirety of who he was, I felt very silly. He looked nothing like Ethan. Absolutely Nothing. As soon as I could, I, got, I, I communicated it to him like, you will not believe what happened. I thought it was you. Man, it's because I was so like fixed on one part of this guy's face. That has to be him. We get so fixed on one part of somebody's life, we think that has to be everything that they are. Is it? Jesus says, no. You're more complicated that, than that, and I see it all. The Pharisees, they were very frustrated. They kind of lived in that frustration, that kind of pain, that kind of uh, struggle where they didn't want to let people walk out, walk into the light from their darkness. And so there's kind of this back and forth between the blind man and the Pharisee. The Pharisees are saying, no, 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 no. Clearly, uh, you, you, you were healed by a man who is a sinner. This isn't good. They come up with all sorts of excuses. They talk to his parents. They say, this isn't actually your son, right? This is not the blind man. Or maybe perhaps like he wasn't actually born blind. It was just a fake. It was just all phone right there's no way there's no way either he is the blind guy or he's not God can't redeem that kind of stuff they won't have it the Pharisees had this conversation with the man they said no no, no that, that's who you are we will label you they'd say to him you were born a total, a total sinner what are you trying to teach us what we don't know about what God's capable of they threw him out of the synagogue It's interesting, this man can finally see. He sees everything that's around him. And now his community says, Well, we don't want to see you. And I wonder, I mean, is that just because they couldn't let him? We can't stand you being someone that we didn't already label you to be. You're a sufferer because you're a sinner. Sounds like the Pharisees have a lot of blind spots, huh? And this man who spent his entire life sitting on the curb, waiting for someone to notice him, is sent out. Away. But there's this amazing thing about Jesus. Jesus always sees us. He always shines his light. It says, Jesus found the man. And there's this beautiful, intimate conversation that he has with the man. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Which is another name for the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus himself. Do you believe? And, this, and the guy says, I want to know. I want to know. I want to know. I want to know. Who is it? And Jesus says, I'm, I'm, I'm him. It's me. I'm God and I see you. I've shined my light into your life. And now through your eyes. And your darkness has been illuminated. Do you believe? And the man says, yes, Lord, I believe. It was so important for his eyes to be able to physically see, but now his heart is seeing. His soul is seeing. His spirit is walking in light. There's something beautiful that happens when we go from a place of knowing and seeing to actually realizing and believing. You know what I mean when I say that? Anybody in here colorblind? I'm colorblind. Color deficient, actually. So if you call me colorblind, I'm going to call you a backwards-minded, mean person. And I'm offended. I'm color deficient, right? So I don't see colors very well. And i always heard about colors and what they were supposed to look like. I took an eighth grade test once on rocks, and I failed the test because I couldn't tell my teacher what rock it was according to the color of the rock. I'm like, they all look the same! No grace. None whatsoever. It's amazing. Like, I got used to what I could see, right? People always ask me, like, what color is this? And it's like a bright yellow shirt. I'm like, uh, blue. It's like, you got it bad! Like, it's not like that, right? You know, I can see some colors, but I-, I got used to it. And so when people would, like, look at autumn, right? Like, you wouldn't believe the colors of fall. Yeah, I bet it's great. <laughs> springtime the trees oh the colors that show up in the trees blossoming flowers you wouldn't believe like oh yeah I don't know kind of looks like faded laundry (laughs) sad isn't it it's really sad when I was in Minnesota and I was moving down here uh, my friends uh, and the staff that I worked with at the church they they knew about my 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 diagnosis (laughs) it's a big struggle and these were people who would describe to me, like, you wouldn't believe the colors. People who live in Minnesota love the colors of Minnesota, let me tell you. If you're from Minnesota, you've got a beautiful state, but we've heard it enough already, okay? <laughs> oh, Minnesota, it's so much more beautiful than Iowa, okay. You've got to see our fall in, in spring, and like, I can't see it, you guys. So for my going away gift, they got me these in chroma glasses. These colorblind glasses, right? And I'm like, I know what you've said you can see, but I don't know if I can believe that. But man, I put them on, for, and they're so cool. Don't even tell me they're not. <laughs> I put them on for the first time, and this is what happened. It was amazing. I, it was the happiest moment of, minus my wedding, it was the happiest moment of my life. I love you, Abby you bring color into my life. Yeah, I'm feeling it. <laughs> this picture always makes me laugh for a lot of reasons. For one, because one of my friends said to me, hey, am I still ugly? <laughs> like, no, you're, you're beautiful, you know. Um, it just cracked me up. And he, he was joking, but I had heard, I'd always known that there were colors out there. But man, once I could actually realize it, and believe it, it's like I was seeing the whole picture. They gave it to me at sunset, and like I'm just like running around looking at everything. I'm like, did you see the orange? What's orange in the, in the forest over there? And I started to see that trees weren't like just one color of green. It's like a mixture of colors. I couldn't explain what I was seeing. I was in disbelief. And like for the first time, I started to have this beautiful realization that like in a tree, multiple colors can exist at once. Maybe everything's not always just as it seems. Maybe there's more to be seen. Maybe God sees more. And maybe God's in the process of revealing more to us. Jesus says to the blind man, the formerly blind man, he says this, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and show those who think that they see there, who think that they see are actually blind. And this is where the story gets really convicting. Because there are some of us who refuse, what if I had refused to put on the glasses, right? No, I'm fine. I see everything fine. Fine. Just continue to fail all the colorblind tests. People hold up those posters. What number do you see? I can't see it! What if I just refuse? No, 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 no. The Pharisees, they refuse to see it. This man's a sinner. And it's clear because his suffering is clear. And that makes us, like, really pompous and really arrogant. Therefore, if I'm not suffering, if things are going well in my life, I must be a great person. Ooh, you got a lot of blind spots. We're living in a world right now where it is, I mean, like, it's so oversaid and overstated, I know. But we're living in a world that is so divided because of stuff like this, right? We are the ones who see the light. We're the ones who realize it all. The other side, the other team, there's no way! There are articles being published all over right now that are talking about the dangers of this. There's a British professor, Alec Reary. He wrote We know what evil is, but we're not so sure about what goodness is. We can agree what to demonstrate against, but not what to demonstrate for. We know what we hate, but not what we love. And it is no good to say what we value is everyone's right to choose their own values, not when at the same time we are trying to unite in condemning the values that we have collectively decided are unacceptable. It is one of the reasons we have become so susceptible to purity spirals. We are free to explore our own values, that is, until we step over a shifting line or it steps over us and suddenly we are not. He says it in a very British way, right? But what's he saying? Our world is full of finger pointing. Our world is full of accusations. But no accountability. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying like, oh, well, let's just meet in the middle on every single thing. No, I mean, if someone's punching you in the face, you don't say, well, let's meet in the middle and you only punch me once a week. No. But at the same time, we, uh, we have spotters, right? To check us on our blind spots. We have to. There's an author, uh, another journalist, he's a Muslim man, and uh, he wrote in the Atlantic this past week an article called America Without God. And he and I obviously are people of two different religions, and we have our disagreements on theology, right, and the study of God and understanding the way that God brings light into the world but I was moved by what he wrote. Talked about how right now we're living in a world where we thought that if we just threw religion out, things wouldn't be so tense. But the problem is, is now we're putting our beliefs and our understanding and our highest value in something like a country or a political party. And so we fall into things like nationalism or wokeism Where it's all about the other party or the other group of people or the other side is morally corrupt and my ideology is of the highest value. It's amazing how like political parties, countries have become a religion themselves. Like I'm not blind. I I get it. I I see what's happening. I know that I, I know that church attendance across the United States is declining. And we thought that would be the thing that would bring us together. You know, there's that song, imagine if there was no heaven, right? No religion. And yet, this brilliant journalist writes, can religiosity be effectively channeled into political belief without the structures of actual religion to temper and postpone judgment? There is little sign so far that it can if matters of good and evil are not to be resolved by, the, by an omniscient God in the future, then Americans will judge and render punishment now. I will not wait for God to deal with the darkness. I will punish someone today. We're a nation of believers, if only Americans could begin believing in politics less fervently, realizing instead that life is elsewhere. But this would come at a cost, because to believe in politics also means believing we can and probably should be better. So what's that saying? It's like, listen, the idea of politics, the ideas that we're putting behind these things, right? I mean, like politicians who have stood on this very stage, their ideas of getting to a better place are good. But if we put our hope in something that simply points to the other side and says, they're wrong, they're evil, so that I can lift myself up, what kind of blind spots are we going to have? I'm going to lift myself up and put you down. Such a disconnection with Reality. I encourage us to walk across the entire ground that the cross stands on, and the outstretched arms of the cross do not necessarily point at everything and say, "Well that's okay, and that's okay. There are some things in this world that are straight up wrong and evil. There's a man yesterday in Atlanta who murdered eight people at massage parlors. It's evil, it's destructive. And we can already see how we're trying to paint it in a positive light, right? Like, well, maybe it's not that bad because we're afraid of darkness. It just so happened that a lot of the victims were Asian Americans. And if you've been paying attention to the news recently, you would know that the hate crimes against Asian Americans is rising and rising and rising and rising ever since the beginning of this pandemic we can say, oh, well, the guy who who killed the people said it wasn't racially motivated. Well, maybe sometimes there are things happening in our minds that we don't necessarily admit because we have blind spots. And we have a God who is realistic, who comes into the world, and he says, I'm not coming into the world to go along with the darkness. I've come into the world to shine my light and reveal everything that's been going on. I want you to see it. I want you to acknowledge it. But I also want you to know that my light still shines. God does not shy away from darkness. He shines into darkness. We can call evil what it is without being overwhelmed by evil. There are people who argue against that. Because they'll always see it as an attack on themselves. Any sort of, uh, any sort of accusation is always about them. It says that there are Pharisees who are listening to Jesus as he says, it. he says, "Are you saying we're blind?" Like, can you Like the Pharisees, how awful would their lives have been? They're everywhere. They're lit, like, they sent this blind guy away, this formerly blind man away. Jesus is having a conversation with him. They hear Jesus say something that they don't like. they like, are you talking about me? What an offended life. Does every single thing that you hear that's negative about the world feel like an accusation on you? You might have some blind spots. Not everything is about you. God's about you. God cares about you. God loves you, but but not everything's about you. Jesus responds to them. He says, Listen, you you remain guilty because you claim you can see. You claim you're the source of the light. Jesus says, No, I'm the only source of the light. And I shine into darkness. You know, we try to find our hope in other things, we try to find our light in other things but there's something very unique about Jesus. We we get so focused on like a career, on power, on status, on money, and and if you are gonna get the most out of those things, you will have to be laser focused. Tunnel vision focused on those things. If you want to be the richest person ever, right, you're gonna have to be laser tunnel focused on money. There are certain things in this world where they will absorb all of your attention. And you might believe that you're accomplishing everything and getting everything that you want, but you've only created tunnel vision and you've got blind spots now. Here's the interesting thing about when we keep our eyes on Jesus. When he becomes the one that we find our light in. When he becomes the one that shines light into our darkness. When he becomes the one that we find our hope in. Jesus comes into the world And he shines a light. Yes, for the glory of God. And yes, we give God credit for that. Yes, we praise and worship God for that. It says that the blind man fell down and worshiped Jesus when he saw who he was. But the light illuminates the room. And we don't have tunnel vision. We just have vision, finally. We can see in the darkness. And suddenly we're able to live in a world where there's suffering. We're able to hold on to the light even when there's darkness around us. Because there will come times when the darkness feels like it's overwhelming, right? And we'll want to say, well, it can only be one or the other, light or darkness. But there was a time when even Jesus was troubled, Jesus is the light of the world. But the book of John, chapter 13, now toward the end of this book that we've been in tonight, says Jesus was deeply troubled. God in the flesh, troubled? Really? He was having his final supper with his disciples, and he knew that his time was coming to die. And he's troubled. As it turns out, light and darkness are sometimes more compatible in this world than we want to admit. At the beginning of this book, in John chapter 1, it says light shines in the darkness and darkness will never extinguish it. And now, just chapters later, it says Jesus, God in the flesh, is troubled. At the beginning of the book, it was a victory claim and now it's trouble. Maybe victory and trouble are more compatible than we think. Maybe this world is more complicated than we think. Jesus looks at his disciples. He says, I tell you the truth. One of you is going to betray me. You're going to hand me over. And the disciples freak out. This isn't supposed to happen. God's not supposed to die. God is God. God could never be put out. We see the world around us and we think, I can label you with one thing. Interestingly, we do the same thing with God. God, you can only be one-dimensional. You always have to show your power on those who I don't like. You always have to show your grace and forgiveness toward me, which, yes, he will. But also, God will give us conviction and sometimes guide us in new places we didn't feel comfortable going into. But we don't like that. We want God to be one-dimensional. God's just always on the throne. And yes, while he's always on the throne, he's always on the march to the cross. This light and the darkness, they're coexisting right now. But the darkness has not extinguished the, the, the light. The darkness can never extinguish the light. Long story short, Jesus reveals to the group that Judas is the disciple who's going to betray him. And what does Jesus do? Does he freak out? Does he just label Judas? Does he lock Judas in the corner, say, no, you can't? I don't want to face darkness. I can't live in a world where there's evil. Or is Jesus the God who is strong enough? Is Jesus the light who is bright enough that can exist even when the darkness surrounds us? That when the darkness surrounds us. That can persist even when the evil attacks us. He looks at Judas and he says, "Hurry and do what you're going to do." Yes, Jesus shines his light, but he's shining his light because we're living in darkness. The darkness and the light, they're coexisting. The darkness will not extinguish it, but we're living in both right now. There's some things in this world that are compatible that we don't want them to be compatible. Even in love, there's betrayal. Jesus loves his disciples, but he's going to be betrayed by Judas. Judas. And yet here he is in the face of trouble, in the face of darkness, in the face of evil. Jesus is still courageous and he eagerly says, hurry, go and do what you're going to do. And it says Judas left at once, going out into the night or the darkness. Jesus is not afraid Of the darkness. Do you think that Jesus is afraid of the darkness you're in? Do you think he can't shine a light into your darkness? Yes, he can. Yes, he will, and yes, he is. He wants to illuminate the room of your life. He's not afraid of the evil. He's not afraid to name the evil what it is, but he's also not afraid to redeem the lost and the broken and the confused and to bring sight to the blind because the light shines into the darkness and the darkness will never extinguish it. So you got got time. As long as you're here, you got time. Let go of the blind spots. Start to look around. Don't be like the Pharisees and say, I have to have it all figured out. I either have it all figured out or nothing figured out. It, it's okay. Let Jesus come into your room and light up the night. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness will never extinguish it. So the blind man saw with his eyes, but even more importantly, he saw with his heart, and his spirit began to walk in light. You can experience that too. Despite the darkness, despite the evil, despite the lies, despite the labels, Jesus will shine his light to reveal to you who he is and to reveal to you who you are and to reveal to you who your peers are, to reveal to you his plans for this world. Someday the darkness will not exist. Someday the darkness will go away. Because the light of Jesus doesn't burn out. It keeps shining forever. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness will never extinguish it. You can see. Amen. Let's stand, let's sing, let's worship.